What does Jesus want us to remember? If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. This is, comes immediately after Judas' betrayal. Last week we looked at Mary as she gave the wonderful gift and sacrificial gift of ointment, preparing Jesus for his burial. And now we pick up at the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, verse 17. And on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And incidentally, uh, this is the oldest of the feast and the festivals. Passover is the first day. And then the Feast of the Unleavened Bread uh, is to follow. And it was the most celebrated at this point. And still is the oldest festival observed by Jews today because it started while they were still in Egypt. Where do you want us to make the preparations for us to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to ask one another, surely not I, Lord, as they said to him. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Now, we're not certain that Jesus could be heard at this moment, at this point. Uh, it may have been just Judas. Maybe Peter, John may have heard him. But we know this. Jesus goes on to bring about the institution of the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. There are different names that are given for it. But this is what he says. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I. And Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, gave thanks. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It was a little girl who came to church to the worship service for the first time. She had never really been to a service up to this point. She had always just attended Sunday school, but her parents decided to let her go this day. She asked if she could attend, and they decided to let her come. And this particular day, they were having communion, and her parents weren't really paying a lot of attention to her. And before they knew it, uh, the tray had been passed, and the bread and the juice, uh, she had received of both. And they looked at her, realizing they had never even explained that time, and it had never dawned on them that they would be in this moment. And so as they looked at her, uh, she re- looked at their puzzlement, and she said to them, and she said, you know, the snacks in Sunday school are a lot better, and they give you a lot more of them back there. <laughs> totally missing the moment, misunderstanding what had happened. I believe many of us can find ourselves in that same situation. And many people who attend church don't fully understand 
the meaning and the purpose and the richness of communion. Some of us even argue about what it should be called. Some call it communion. Some call it the Eucharist. Some call it the Last Supper. Some call it the Lord's Supper. Well, actually, you can use all those terms. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, depending on which translation you use, uh, in, in King James it's referred to uh, in one and NIV the other, but it's on, on one it's referred to as thanksgiving, which is the work, the Greek word Eucharist uh, that Catholics use. So then it's also in the NIV it'll say uh, communion, okay, as they come together. So both of those words are used in reference. And then as we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in Matthew and Mark and Luke, we see supper, the term supper used in Scripture as a reference. Now, this, of course, was an age-old uh, celebration that Jews had participated in for a long time and still do up to this point. But Jesus inaugurates a new covenant. Matter of fact, that word new covenant is found in the Gospel of Luke, and it's also found in 1 Corinthians 11. A new covenant. Now, it's interesting to me as you look at the scriptures in all four instances that it is recorded, the ordinance is recorded, it's all done in a slightly different way. Now, the, the, the communion or the Lord's Supper is all done basically the same word, but there are some different words that are used by each uh, recorder of the gospel and by Paul himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And sometimes people will get kind of worked up, and I've had them do this with me before, they'll kind of get worked up about there's a word that you didn't say here or there's a word that you added. And they'll kind of get worked up about that. But the truth of it is, is it's interesting to me that it doesn't appear in the same code each time. You know what that tells me is that Jesus is really more concerned about your heart and about the spirit of you coming to the table than he is you getting all the words right. It's not so much what you're reciting as what your heart is experiencing. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us to prepare ourselves and to prepare our hearts. Now, there are a lot of different views on what about the elements? I mean, are you supposed to use bread or what is that stuff that you use? I don't like it. I've had several people say, I don't really like the taste of that stuff that you use. What is it? Well, it's actually matzah. Uh, it's actually what Jesus, what the Jews used uh, in Passover. Okay? So it's unleavened bread. And it's not, let me say this, we are no, we're not more right by using that. The real truth of it is, is it probably was one big loaf. It was a common loaf that was passed around. And so if we wanted to be really legalistic about it, probably we need to get one loaf and send it around. And one of the reasons that we don't do that today is a practicality, because it probably wouldn't last. It would have to be a major big loaf, and everybody would be trying to hold it, and kids, the loaf's coming by. And so it's really a more of practicality, okay? Uh, remember this, when we look at these scriptures and these passages, and you've heard me talk about this before, there's two terms for us to remember. There's descriptive and prescriptive. Prescription means this is the way it's to be done. There's not a lot of wiggle room. This is it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You shall love the neighbor as your neighbor as yourself. These are prescriptive scriptures that are given to us very black and white, very clearly. This is what you are to do or not to do. 
But then there are descriptive scriptures. And I believe as we look at this important time, at this important institution that Jesus has given to us, uh, that it is imperative that we participate. Uh, I believe that goes without question. But the nuances, uh, really Jesus was describing what is to occur. I don't know that we want to get real legalistic with that. Like for some, they'll say, do you do, what kind of bread do you use? And I told you about what we have. I, there was one church in Houston, I was reading about this uh, last month, that uh, there were two children, uh, matter of fact, there were two children of the same family who were allergic to gluten and they were using bread. And when they talked to the minister about it, he refused to change it because he felt like it was the biblical bread, whatever that was. I don't know if it was wholesome or, or what, what kind of bread it was, uh, but he thought it was. And, and they refused to do it. He said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh, and they were trying to explain how their children were allergic to the gluten and couldn't even be around it. And as some kids are allergic to nuts, and they refused to do it. Well, that's called legalism. That's missing the whole spirit of what Jesus instituted and we're getting stuck that's when satan is kind of deceiving us to get into this is what the element is supposed to look like some will say well aren't you supposed to use wine or you better not use wine well if we go back and we look at the mishnah we know that it was required that they uh, water down the wine usually about four times four parts of water to one part wine it was very weak in that instance and the reason they wanted that because they didn't want you getting drunk during that time, because, see, during the, the, the Passover time, they actually take the cup several times. They do it multiple times. And so it was required. And even even in the New Testament, Paul talks in First Corinthians 11. He goes, look, you are dishonoring the table. You are dishonoring the Lord's Supper because some of you are getting drunk. So there was definitely some alcoholic content, not to mention that really the grape juice uh, Welsh didn't invite, invent that till 1869. Um, now, you could get grape juice probably at that time, but you had to drink it pretty fast because it'd start to ferment pretty quickly. But what we know is it was, it was pretty, pretty weak for communion purposes. And I'm not talking about other purposes or it was supposed to be. Uh, but we know it probably wasn't grape juice either. So really, again, this is a description. What about the cup? You know, I had a guy tell me one time, because we would, um, we would have people come up. Sometimes we do this. We used to do it a lot more often. We'd have crosses, and people would come up and take communion up here. And he goes, you know, if I'm going to come here, I have to know that you're going to do communion right. And I said, well, what is right? Well, you need to get the little cups, and you, get, you need to get the right crackers. You don't have, I, don't, I don't like those, whatever it is you're using, I don't like it. You know the little crackers that everybody uses. I think, I think they're put out at the Christian bookstore. That's what you're supposed to use. I promise you, Jesus didn't have the little crackers. I know he didn't have the little crackers. And by the way, the little crackers, they're more expensive too. Just as a personal tither, you might be interested to know we're saving money by using matzah. So, nevertheless, that is so, we're so into the legalism on that side. And what about the cup? Well, we're pretty certain they all use the same cup. They used one cup. But remember this in Acts chapter 2. When it's being described what was happening, they were doing it in a home. And so it was probably a neighbor, an extended family, and they would all participate from that same cup. Uh, if we did one cup right today, we'd have to constantly fill it up. M- much less half of you go, pass, <laughs> pass, you know, and that's fine. And so what I'm telling you, is, it's not a right or wrong. Uh, I know some, some churches and some denominations still use the, the same cup. That's wonderful. That, that's not a problem that is not the spirit, and that is not the emphasis that Jesus 
was making. And we are missing the forest because the trees are in our way when we get stuck on those things. So I think it's important for us to understand that and remember that. Now, something else, uh, just a little bit more information on there. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, you do it so often here. Matter of fact, I'll have, I've had people that have left our church because they said, if you're going to skip weeks, I can't come. I need, I need you to do this every week. And so some people believe it needs to be done other week, every week. And matter of fact, Martin Luther and in Acts chapter 2, the early church, they were doing it daily. The Bible tells us they were coming together daily. And Martin Luther believed you should observe it every day. And matter of fact, also there are still denominations, I say denominations, there are still ministry groups that still do it every day. And so that's okay. I believe, again, that wasn't the prescription. I believe they were describing what was occurring. Uh, I believe as Dr. Luke was writing Acts, he's describing, it's not, thus saith the Lord, this is prescriptive. This is the way it must occur. Number two, uh, some believe that it must be done weekly. And uh, if you look at the New Testament, there are instances in, in the church uh, that Paul visited that they were doing it on the first day of the week. And so John Calvin was a staunch supporter that it should be done weekly. And so... As we look at that, we recognize that's, that's one way that you can do it. You can do it weekly. And then John Knox, who was a reformer, he said this. He said, I think it should be done once a month because if we look back at the Roman government during that time, uh, most of the people were working 10-day work weeks, so they probably didn't have the opportunity to do it quite as frequently. So there are others that will even go as far as to say it should only be done once a year because it took the institution of Passover. So the Jews were only celebrating Passover once a year, so that's what he's talking about. But here's the, here's the situation on that. That's probably not accurate because Paul never addressed that. He went to these churches that were doing it daily and weekly, and he didn't say, hey, this is a once a year. So what does Jesus say? He says specifically, matter of fact, let's, let's look at our Bible. And I'm going to read from, to you from the King James Version, which I don't normally do. And, um, and for those who think that it's the only version, that was the version that... Paul and Silas used. Uh, I can tell you that it wasn't because it wasn't even written until 1611. I don't know what they did for 1600 years without the real Bible. Uh, but um, so if you think about, I don't mean to make fun of you, but that's just it's just not right, guys. It was uh, this not wasn't even the first English translation. There were four other translations before this ever occurred. It was just the most popular and had the most money behind it. Uh, so now that I've Made someone mad. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that was the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he betrayed and took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, notice he says, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Now, your translation probably doesn't say broken. And let me say this. It is true that there was not a bone broken in Jesus' body, just as it was prophesied in Isaiah. Also, the sacrificial lamb and the sacrificial bull that was later used in Exodus 24, uh, no bone could be broken in the animal or it would not be acceptable as a sacrifice. So we know no bone is broken at this point. Uh, but what he's talking about broken is probably in reference to the skin of Jesus that has been broken. The skin has been torn. Okay, and probably there's even a deeper and richer meaning, but it's not making reference to the bone. Uh, after the same manner, he also took the cup, and when he had supped, there's that word sup, 
Uh, we use the word supper, saying this is a cup, is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you show the death till the Lord comes. Now, there's three reasons we do communion. Number one uh, reason that we do it is to remember the death of Christ, to remember his death and his burial and what he went through. It's also to remember the present relationship that we have with Christ and to recognize the grace that we receive and to remind us, as it's stated right there, uh, of his return, as it said in 1 Corinthians 11:26, as well in Matthew 26, verse 29. Now, there are several views of communion that people have and that different churches take. One is this. It's called transubstantiation. Uh, this is the position that the Catholic Church takes. The word trans means transform. Substantiation means substance. The, uh, tran- the change or the transforming of the substance. Now, I had an opportunity to visit with, with a priest, and he tried to explain to me. I'm not smart enough to grasp it all, so uh, I, I'm more than happy to talk to you, or we can visit about this a little bit more. But what does not happen is that the appearance of this does not change. What, in fact, happens when transubstantiation occurs, when the priest consecrates the, the, the table, the elements, uh, what occurs is that somehow it is mysteriously or miraculously transformed into the body and the blood of Christ. This is the Catholic view. Now, the appearance is the same. It'll still look like bread, and if you could go back and take it back out of the body, it would still look like bread and still look like wine. Okay, so the appearance is the same. It looks the same. It feels the same. It's the same. But it, in effect, has been transformed. Okay, so that's the uh, Catholic position. And uh, there are a couple others that take that position as well. Now, there's another one called real presence. The real presence means this. It means that somehow the presence of Christ has come into the elements. Now, we don't understand it. And matter of fact, it's a mystery is usually the term that's used. Matter of fact, the Methodist Church says it's a holy mystery. Mysteriously, we can't explain it. We can't uh, tell you what happens. But somehow the presence of Christ comes within the elements. Some would take a modified version, and I'm pretty sympathetic to this, that it is actually uh, not necessarily necessarily in it, but it comes in a special way. In other words, the Spirit of God comes upon our, this time in a special way when we observe this time, communion, the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper. So when Christ comes upon us in a special time that way, that's what occurs. And then still yet there's the last position, which is the way that I was raised, uh, the memorialization. In other words, it's a memorial. It doesn't, there's nothing significant about these elements. There's nothing real different about this and any other time. It's simply a time where we remember. It just serves kind of like the flag uh, United States flag, it's, it's a reminder, or a tombstone that you see. It simply acts as a reminder. Again, I'm, I'm sympathetic uh, to the presence coming in a special way, but no transformation really occurring within the substance. And I believe it's a memorial as well. And again, that's one that there's lots of debate. Love to talk to you about that. At the end of the day, it is a mystery. We know that. So as we understand that, it's important as we look at the bread now to Recognize what Jesus said here. Uh, I think it's interesting in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, Jesus is speaking, and after he's spoken, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, 
And I think it's interesting that we have taken Christ, that he has given us, he's the bread of life, and gave thanks, blessed it, and then broke it, and then gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. So we see Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, gave thanks for the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave the bread. There's, a, I think, a little spiritual image of the Christian life, of our spiritual life, as we uh, receive of Christ, we take from Christ, uh, he's been offered to us, uh, we have been blessed by this offering, this new covenant that has been given to us, and then the brokenness or confession or repentance that he requires of us, and then he encourages us to give of the bread, to give of the Spirit, to give of Christ, to share it with others. Now, in the Passover meal, there were four cups that the Jews would receive. The first cup was the cup of sanctification. It represented the delivery that they received. This can be found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. And they were delivered from the Egyptians, from the, the slavery. The second cup was the cup uh, that, they, that they would receive was in representation of the plagues. It was the cup of judgment. And they would receive of that cup uh, that Pharaoh, through the judgment of the plagues, had chosen to finally release them. Then the third cup was the cup of redemption, the cup of sacrifice. Now, in Exodus chapter 24, verses 5 through 8, it gives the story of the old, or it gives the prescription of the old covenant of what must occur when an unblemished bull would be sacrificed. Moses would take, or the high priest, whoever it was, would take the blood at that time, and half of it would be put in a bowl, and half of it would be sprinkled upon the altar and symbolically sprinkled upon the nation of Israel. And that was the old covenant that was given. But then we see, as we were reading earlier, a new covenant. It's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's not in Matthew and Mark, but a new covenant. And we saw it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, a while ago. The new covenant, Jesus said. As a matter of fact, in the King James Version, it said the New Testament. Another word for covenant. The new covenant is given to you. And it's the covenant of Christ, the sacrifice, his blood that pays the price once and for all. And uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that it is the sufficient, that no longer are we in need of a high priest or sacrifice, but Christ has provided the sacrifice once and for all through his precious and perfect blood. And so the cup of redemption, I also believe when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he says, let this cup pass from me, he's making reference to the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of sacrifice. So as he's making this prayer, you'll remember he says, not my will, Lord, but thine. And he chooses to receive the cup. He chooses to give himself as a sacrifice for all. And so as we partake of this cup, it's important to remember it is the new covenant that has been instituted. Now, the fourth cup uh, was the cup of celebration. And Jesus said right there in Matthew 26, verse 29, he says, Now, I'm not going to drink of that cup. That's what he's making reference to. I'm not going to drink from the fruit of the vine until I return. So when Jesus returns, and that's another reason we celebrate uh, 
the Lord's Supper, we celebrate this time. When he returns, then we will all receive and celebrate in the new kingdom. In the Old Testament, in uh, Exodus 24, it's making reference to the new land, the promised land of which they would receive. Now it's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And then at the end of that fourth cup, uh, they sang a hymn and then they departed. Now, a lot of people will say, see, you're supposed to be singing hymns. That's right there in the Bible. The real truth of it is they sang Psalms 115 to 118. It was scripture. It was really probably more like shout to the Lord instead of joy to the world. Okay, so uh, as we look at that, it's important for us to recognize that this cup, and it's because of this new covenant, it's because of the grace that Christ has poured out, his blood physically being poured out, upon our sins that God looks upon us and sees us acceptable because of the new covenant, because of this cup.